So I know we, well, not we, but I know sometimes I have these like dramatic kind of reveals where I'm wearing a tracksuit and then I'll unbutton it and I'll have yeah, some yeah. sort of the Dolly Parton shirt or mm-hmm. or something the first along those. Them, yes, yes, yes. That was the first. That was the first big twist. This one I think is next level here, Travis. Oh, oh. <laughs> You have a Watto shirt. I have a Watto shirt. And there's little hats. And there's little hats. Little deedle deedle, little deedle 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 gum. A little big for a yarmulke or whatever, but yeah. I'm a toy daddy. My tricks don't work on me. Only money. No money, no parts, no deal. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, symbiotes and Clintar of all ages, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Multiverse of Radness, or Sadness, depending on who you ask. A show where fellow like-minded Marvelites have assembled to discuss, review, theorize, and wax intellectual over any and all things related to the Sony Cinematic Universe of Spider-Man characters. <laughs> my name is John, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host and the only person I would allow to live inside one another in an alien parasitic relationship, Travis, to finally talk about Sony Pictures' second installment of their billion-dollar grossing Marvel Jesus Comics Christ. franchise, Venom. Let there be carnage. (laughs) Jesus Christ is right. Since his debut in the pages of The Amazing Spider-Man 300 back in May of 1988, Venom has become not only a fan favorite character, but one of Spider-Man's most beloved supporting characters. But due to a long history of complicated intellectual property rights, Sony decided to forgo the usage of the titular web slinger in their cinematic universe, instead centering the films upon a strange, albeit delightful, will-they-won't-they, odd-couple-style relationship between Venom and Eddie Brock. And now Venom is here, Venom is queer, and Venom is fabulous. So... This has been a long time coming where we finally get to talk about Venom, Travis. Um... This is not, and I and I don't want to call any of the films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe prestigious in any way, shape, or form at all. They are genre films. They are schlocky. And they kind of know their role and know their place. Yes, yes. But with that said, what brings people more happiness? Prestige films that you see once or maybe twice or, or a, the film buffs watch more than that, but uh, are these mainstream films that everyone goes out and has this communal experience? And uh, yeah, yeah, I maybe rewatch this thirteen or so times. Absolutely, but one thing, <laughs> one thing, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has kind of almost single-handedly eradicated is the very particular genre that is 
the B movie superhero film, right? I don't know. I think the asylum's still cranking along there. <laughs> I think Venom has Venom. I think um, Venom does feel like a mid tier. No, it does. No, no, it does, and and it has to be intentional because the talent and people behind and on screen in this franchise are not stupid people and they're not necessarily lowbrow people. These are, they're prestigious people working behind the scenes at these things. Tom Hardy is a recognized actor. And not only did he star in the second Venom and returned, he has a story by credit. This is his first writing credit, by the way. Okay. Okay. So uh, Tom Hardy is all in on Venom. Michelle Williams, Academy Award winning Michelle Williams, Academy Award winning Woody Harrelson, Academy Award winning Naomi Harris, Academy Award winning Andy Serkis. All of these people are real filmmakers, real artists, and real actors. And they have to be aware of what they're doing because Venom is a 90-minute B-movie action comedy of like there's no other way to describe it other than schlock you know yeah it feels like a 2000s movie in a lot of ways like before mc would kind of crack the formula for how to do these in a uh, consistently uh, entertaining way i guess uh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. That's kind of why I said it kind of like is like bringing back the B superhero movie, like the, yeah, the Blades yeah. of the world, the Nick Fury Agents of Shields of the world, the Ang Lee's Hulk of the world, these like weird over and done with kind of quick movies that are based on comic book properties mm-hmm. that is kind of forgotten. And, and it's, you know, it's that's like, fair. I, I mentioned the Asylum, but those are more. Uh, D and Z. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Um, I mean, I kind of know the answer to this. What were your thoughts on the first Venom movie? Before even talking about the first Venom movie, let's talk about like Venom as a character and our relationships to Venom and Spider Man. We obviously are, um, we've said it many times kind of elder millennials, older millennials. So (laughs) these late eighties, early nineties characters, especially those created by Eric Larson and Todd McFarlane were a huge part of our childhood and anyone's childhood. If they grew up in the late eighties and early nineties, right. That cannot be overstated. Venom as a character, I like the way he's introduced, but it kind of, quickly goes off the rails and <laughs> with him becoming a bit sillier than I, I remembered like recently rereading Maximum Carnage and stuff like that and this movie in particular isn't faithful to Maximum Carnage but it is in some ways that are not going to be complimentary spoilers <laughs> Yeah, I I think this movie does a better job with the Maximum Carnage series than the comic book maximum carnage in a lot of ways because maximum carnage the comic maximum carnage the comic sorry and as you say it Mm -hmm. had a video game tie-in and all this merchandise tie-in stuff where they introduced Uh, so much just for the sake of getting it in there so they had other characters in the toy and video yeah yeah you were actually probably going to talk about some of the same stuff where like maximum carnage i want to say it's 14 issues or something 
could have turned that down to about six. And uh, they basically prolonged the plot uh, needlessly by having characters go back on their word and things like that and just act out of character or whatever. And uh, this movie does a little bit of that too. That's kind of what I mean by it's kind of faithful in that regard. Yeah, it <laughs> absolutely is, is. Granted, this is still kind of a some trim 90 minutes, but you could get down to a 60. <laughs> You probably could, and and I honestly the the eighty five ninety minute action movie is another yeah. thing that is kind of a lost art in my opinion. With in a lot of ways, movies at least, yeah, uh, I, I agree. And uh, for me, that's kind of like the sweet spot with most action movies. I I like the Marvel movies to be longer just because I can't get enough of that shit. But sure. For most movies, I want it to be about 90 minutes unless it's uh, upper tier where I'm going to be moved by it in some way. Uh, yeah. I mean, even like the huge action franchises that are around now. And, and I mean, I talk about the Fast movies and how much I fucking love the Fast and the Furious franchise. But Fast 9 is two hours and 20 minutes long. It is a long, long, long <laughs> haul of a movie. Those Transformer movies are like two and a half hours long each. So even these big action franchise films outside of the MCU have turned into overblown, overlong, overstaying their welcome where Venom knows exactly what it is and never overstays its welcome. These are the things that I'm, it, they kind of sound like digs, well, but I mean them as compliments, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of agree, but then is it every saying one's welcome if you weren't invited at all? Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, Spoiler alert, we're going to disagree on this one, but it's all in good fun. I, it 100% is all in good fun. And um, yeah, spoiler alert, I fucking love this movie and Travis <laughs> was kind of indifferent on this movie. I, I mentioned to you before how this movie is beat for beat similar to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 in a really strange way. Um, it also replicates a classic superhero sequel trope of the hero losing their powers halfway through. Oh, right? yes, yes. Uh, a trope that I'm not overly fond of, but it, but, it, is, it is a staple of the, the genre. Huh? Absolutely. In Spider-Man 2, Peter's in conflict with his other his other half, his other self, you know, Spider-Man, just like Eddie and Venom are in conflict here. The hero's got a personal connection with the villain who also has a love interest, just like, you know, Octavius did with mm -hmm. Peter in Spider-Man 2 and Cletus and Eddie have in this one. And they both had their their love interest, the villains. Uh, the blah, 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 blah. Um, After like a big lengthy conversation with the villain, the hero makes an improvement in a civilian life, much like Spider-Man 2 and, and Venom, let there be carnage. Then the villain's transformed into a monster that's somehow connected to the hero. You know, Peter warning Otto Octavius about the fusion reaction and Venom spawning carnage. After the transformation, the bad guy teams up with even more evil personalities that kind of gives his powers, gives him powers rather, and, and motivates him to find his lost love. So, Octavius teams up with the things on his back, you know, the, the, the yeah, sentient. 
tentacle thing. The, the sentient uh, tentacle things. And in this one, Venom, I mean, Carnage rather teams up with Cletus and they're both kind of motivated by their, their lost love. And around this time, the hero's love interest leaves them. And since he hates being a hero, he leaves his alter ego behind and temporarily loses his powers. That's the trope that we were talking about. That's also in Superman 2, right? Spider-Man 2. Um, what other dumb superhero movies do that? <laughs> well, I, I know Superman stories do that a lot too, right? With that kryptonite and just navigate yeah. out of the action in general because of how powerful he is uh, yeah you have to depower him in, in some way yeah, and yeah. then eventually the hero regains his powers when the villain starts going on a rampage threatens the hero's love interest who's kidnapped by the villain leaving him to a fight inside of like a big giant structure the villain dies and we see the hero okay with leading this double life so that's my analogy for spider-man 2 makes sense right yeah yeah it does and it, it does is comparable to this uh mm-hmm um, the beginning of this movie, Travis, this movie that I love, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, uh, starts at the, uh, St. Estes Orphanage for Forgotten Children in, like, a flashback sequence in 1996. Um, St. Estes Orphanage is from the comics. That's where Cletus was raised. Um, this is where we meet young Cletus and young Shriek. And they are both voiced by their adult actors and it is yeah, fucking yeah. weird it was that is what i have in my notes is weird this is fucking weird and it kind of worked for me it it's woody harrelson <laughs> has a very distinct voice and i don't know like, i have to hear how the other guys sounded to know if it would be would have been better it was like Woody Harrelson using his indoor voice, but being yeah, voiced yeah. by a teenage child, but coming out of like a teenage child saying really no, weird stuff. They could have done something digitally with Harrelson's voice to make it sound younger, probably. But <laughs> but they did yeah, they did not do that. And that's that's bold choice. I respect it. Uh, <laughs> this movie is filled with bold choices. Bold, yeah. bold choices. I mean, Shriek wasn't as noticeable, but that's women's voices are just different uh, mm -hmm. Shriek yeah. played by Academy Award winner Naomi Harris um, famous for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies of course which is uh, well I was gonna say <laughs> do you think because cause Davy Jones is a is a squid boy right he's mm -hmm. a tentacle boy he's a slimy tentacle boy and she's in love with Davy Jones in those movies right you son of a bitch you told me you hadn't seen them I saw them all because you told me you liked them <laughs> Oh, you didn't tell me you watched them. We I'm told. sorry. We well, did... a special pirate themed. <laughs> we can still do that. Yeah. We can still do that. Uh, Fucking, um, but yeah, I, I, I just kept thinking this, like... this lady's really into uh, squid boys, you know, slimy yeah, squid yeah, boys. That's, that's true. That's true. Uh, she has a type. And I didn't recognize her as the, as Tuxo from the Pirates movie until super late in this movie, which, yeah. Uh, I don't know what does it, but at the end, uh, she just looks just like that fucking character. She's wearing like a homeless lady, um, like fur coat that I think is a pretty big vibe. I'm like really into her outfit towards the end in, in a movie mm -hmm. where people are wearing really weird outfits and look like they just came in off the street and haven't showered in like two days. Like Tom Hardy looks like trash in this movie. It's so <laughs> funny how Tom Hardy looks like he just rolled out of bed, you know? Yeah. He's 
just a normal guy. And, and I will give him some credit because he uh, he did a better job in this one. Like, uh, he wasn't. Uh, he toned down the the weird, uh, like kind of mentally ill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it's he's still a little goofy at times, but it's not as much. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the way he says on later on in the episode. It's very strange. Um. Young Cletus and and young Shriek, they talk to each other by like a piece of string or something inside this orphanage. And and they're calling each other like their rays of light and, and all sorts of nonsense. And a bunch of guards and police come to take Shriek away. And this is a I mean, we got a fucking note. She says that her mutations are enhancing. Right. And when Fox had the rights to the X-Men movies. No other Marvel movie, whether it be Sony or um, Columbia or Universal or Disney or whoever, Paramount, whoever owned them, would come close to uttering the words mutant or mutation. You know, that, it's what I call the well, age of miracles, Travis. <laughs> there was that uh, Mutant X TV show or something that they got sued, though. Oh, yeah. That's, they did. Yeah, yeah. That's why they don't uh, until now, I guess. Uh it, I, I mean, I don't think it has any validity. I'm sure there's no, YouTube videos no. out there and Joe Obsessing. Blow articles. You wouldn't Obs- believe the number of we got discovered articles just on this one uh, line, I'm sure. Yeah, this is mutants confirmed for a lot of these uh, clickbait sites, I'm sure. I, I uh, guess we should also just kind of mention that we're going to be talking spoilers. We all, pretty much always do on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but so this is a new this is a new movie. Out, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yes. Well, you should probably note that while the movie is 90 minutes long, this will probably be double the length. So <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> we both said we weren't going to take a lot of notes, and I looked down at my eight pages of random scribblings. I think this may be the most notes I've taken on, a, on any of the fucking things. I. <laughs> Uh, are they are they on a postcard to... written in are, are they on a postcard no. written in red ink in a circle like uh like like Cletus Cassidy does later yeah. in this well, uh, movie? Well, I was just worried because I didn't like this one that I wouldn't have enough to say. I think, but it, it's always this weird fear I have, and it, it's always unfounded. <laughs> the uh, the uh, the dialogue on the the uh, string conversation or whatever. Do you think that was? Tom Hardy's poetry. We know he wrote this movie. Is that is that something like where he went back to his high school days and found some old notes? Maybe there there there's a lot of like haikus. Yeah, there's a lot of haikus and poetry in this movie. Yeah. Like bad haikus and bad poetry that, yes, like someone would have written in high school thinking they're deep and somehow they made it to the film in this movie. And it's kind of amazing. That oh, it yeah, yeah. It, it is something. Uh... Um, when they um, when they take shriek away the police and and the guards, it, it's a pretty hilarious kind of slow motion thing where she's like, you know, banging at the glass. Cletus is banging at the glass, you know, mm-hmm. as she's being taken away. Um, do you like the way they portrayed she shrieks power sets here, uh, where she has that sonic scream? This is the first time we see it. I think it looks cool, but they don't use it enough in this. That was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, they 
They introduced it, it looks as good as sound powers pretty much can, other than maybe Songbird, since that has color stuff. <laughs> but, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as good as a Banshee or, or whoever. Yes. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, just, she barely uses it at all in this movie, and that's kind of disappointing. <laughs> we see her go literally hand-to-hand with somebody later, and it, yeah. Especially considering, and we'll bring it up a little bit later on in the episode, the symbiote's weakness is sound so there is this kind of poetic irony to the host of the symbiote being in love with someone whose power is something that will harm them inevitably like it takes the toxic relationship to not only a literal but a very very figurative level you know and not figurative but very very literal level rather yeah Um, yes and they they don't dig into it enough I think they could have gone a little bit more and had like this love triangle where Carnage <laughs> is in, Carnage is in love with Cletus, Cletus is in love with Naomi Harris, and they're fighting for Cletus. I think that, but again, you only got ninety minutes, so how far could you go? And at least it's there, so maybe it's less poetic to to, to less is more in this in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where a, a young cop shoots her in the fucking face <laughs> in the first five minutes of the, uh, of the movie, a woman gets shot in the face when she screams, um, shooting her eye out, giving her the iconic scar that she has in the comic books. Um, later on, we will see that this young, what's that? I don't know. That it, is it a scar in the comics? I just thought it was like, she was like a goth chick with face paint. Oh uh, yeah. It's it's like a scar. It's like a. It, she looks like Paul Stanley got the um the yes, star yes. from his yeah, kiss yeah, yeah. makeup scarred onto his face. <laughs> I don't think it looks as cool as the comic version. Uh, granted, that's such a fucking silly uh, thing to adapt uh, in modern day. No one, no one dresses like that anymore, John. <laughs> I know it's Except gnarly for the though. The members of Kiss, I guess. Uh, yeah, the members of Kiss probably still dress like that. Their backup dancers probably still dress like that. So, yeah. I mean, if you're part of the Kiss Army, write in. Let us know if we're right or we're wrong. <laughs> um, the cop that shoots her in the face is later on played by as an adult Stephen Graham, who yes. I'm a fan of. I am too. I yeah, he was uh, Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire, and he's in a zombie movie that I actually really like called Doghouse, which is both really progressive and misogynistic at the same time. Where it's, uh, mm. it's like a, a gay male character who's not a stereotype and is treated as one of the boys, but then it also has this battle of the sexist thing going on where it's. He has a very misogynistic monologue towards the end, and yeah. How long ago was Doghouse made? Uh, I think two thousand nine. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was okay to hate women back then. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. It's still okay. People wouldn't complain about it too much. Uh, um, no, they complain if you don't hate the women enough. No, it's, true, uh, true, true, true. <laughs> Certain comment sections, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Stephen Graham's character is Patrick Mulligan, Detective Mulligan. This is a comic book character, um, is related to Venom and the symbiotes. In the comics, he's an NYPD officer who kind of stumbles onto Carnage, literally giving birth and like shitting out a symbiote <laughs> named Toxin, and eventually becomes the uh, the symbiote Toxin's first host, something that I think is kind of hinted to in this movie. I have no yes, clue yeah, what that's, that's about. Definitely. Uh, there aren't a ton of Venom stories that people would want to see, so yeah, they're going to... Uh... <laughs> 
do them all in short order i imagine uh yeah i i like the shriek carnage relationship more in this movie than in the comics or at least the the back yeah i know but but at least like in the comics basically he he just he's breaking out of ravencroft right meet shriek they get like weirdly horny and then go yeah. mess stuff up together forming like this weird kind of warped family with other supervillains because there was a video game tie-in with a bunch <laughs> of like toy biz stuff at stake that's a very cynical way to look at that yeah pretty accurate too uh, yes. yeah yeah but in the movie, they have this bond formed by the trauma of their past. It's a little bit more than just him stumbling upon her and being like, hey, hot goth lady, do you want to come do this with me? And her saying, like, sure, baby. Sure, and yeah, yeah. Then they adopt a bunch of fucking like, supervillains. Like you said, uh, it was what, Doppelganger, Demo Goblin, and uh, fucking Carrion. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, all-star lineup there. Uh, was the jackal involved somehow? Right? Uh, no, I don't remember the jackal being in there. He may have been. But, uh. I think the third tier goblin was placed so they could sell a goblin toy and have a recognizable goblin character in the video game because the goblin canon at that point was just so off the chain. You know, this is like post-Norman, post-Harry, post-Ned, post-everyone having already been the Goblin, so they had to have some sort of weird Goblin guy throwing pumpkin bombs on a glider somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and he's like a religious fanatic and and an actual demon of some kind, right? Is he? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I think so. His Goblin Glider is made out of fire. I, I think he is a demon. Uh, I kind of like the look of Bemo Goblin a lot, but yeah, it is not really uh, a long-lasting <laughs> sort of memorable. He's not a top-tier Spider-Man villain. Uh, Doppelganger looks pretty cool, be- basically being like Spider-Man with a bunch of crazy arms. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the sharp teeth and everything. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. I think Hemogoblin had HIV. He is notable mainly for infecting members of the new Guardians with HIV, the virus that caused AIDS and was oh. killed in a battle with the team. What the fuck? And he's a vampire. I thought, was he a demon? That's, I know you're on the, the Wikipedia now. I thought he was a demon. Uh, you could have swore. This is crazy. This is too much for me. demons could get HIV? That's... I have no idea. Maybe they can't get it, but they can, like, give it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see. Maybe. Uh... I, I have no fucking clue. And this wasn't Ned Leeds, right? This was... No, somewhere... no. Uh... I can't stand the people who are saying Ned's going to be the Hobgoblin in this. Uh... <laughs> just because, yeah, slimmed down some. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just... They're just like, well, you know he was the Goblin in the comics. I was like, yeah, dude, I know. I'm probably the person who told you that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm sorry, guy at work trying to talk to me about Spider-Man. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh... Francis slash AKA Shriek gets taken to uh, Ravencroft, which is pretty much just Spider-Man's Arkham Asylum, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's got like a super prison feel, even though it's just a, an asylum. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I like that they're using a super prison type thing since the MCU really hasn't done much with theirs. Just 
as I always say, just wasting taxpayer dollars <laughs> on these fucking giant facilities. I, it kind of bugs me how in the comics, though, Ravencroft is this like clean facility that's run by this really nice lady named Dr. Kafka. But in the movies, it's always like a torture chamber run by psychopaths. You know, yeah, yeah. the uh, I was going to say the headmaster, but that's not what it is. But they're just needlessly cruel. They're just going there to give her negative updates on her ex-boyfriend who, yeah. I guess you would stay with someone if you hadn't met anyone else like that, but it, it's a weird uh, thing. In in I think it's the Amazing Spider-Man two with uh, Jamie Foxx's Electro. Doctor Kafka is played by like a dude, and he's like a total sadist, right? I don't remember that at all. Uh, yeah, I I don't remember him being in that. <laughs> yeah, I think he is. I, uh, I try and I try and not remember as much as I can from that movie. I I don't know if I've said it on the show before, but that is my least favorite superhero movie of all time: The Amazing Spider-Man two. Oh, I think wow. Yeah, I think it's like the utmost trash of trash where it was the heyday of let's build a cinematic universe mm-hmm. before thinking about how to make a well, good film and build the cinematic universe. To be in their defense, they had to beat the dark universe. That was going to... <laughs> <laughs> and the Hasbro oh. extended universe, right? Wasn't there like a G.I. Joe and Transformers universe happening around that same time too? I don't remember if that was then, but yeah, that's still not a bad idea. Like, just a GI Joe universe, you could absolutely do. But they were trying to build a um a board game universe of yeah, of yeah, like Battleship and mm-hmm. and Tetris. <laughs> yeah, yeah that that was going to be a trilogy of films. Apparently, I it is insane. Amazing, oh. it is insane. Um. This is when the film flashes to modern day and we check in on Eddie, who's been like writing these fluff pieces on Cletus Cassidy for the Daily Bugle West Coast edition. And I don't know if you noticed, but the Bugle's masthead on the newspaper is the exact same as the Bugle's masthead in the Raimi movies. I did not. I did not. Yeah. I And this is where I start talking about how much I love this movie and why... I love this movie so much because the ongoing conflict and conversations between Eddie and Venom are delightful, capital C, charming, fucking great. Like when they're at the police station and Eddie and Venom are like kind of feuding with Detective Mulligan now as an adult played by the Al Capone guy. Venom tries to like (laughs) eat his brains and and Venom's like begging Eddie to play vigilante, telling him like, um, we should be out there protecting the city lethally and and they're like in the uh the women's restroom like in the stall like arguing with one another while there's like some poor woman like taking a poop next next to them being like what the hell is this guy talking about in there i yeah, I yeah love she even takes a peek on uh yeah yeah it <laughs> i will admit that some of the venom humor works for me in this movie like uh just the some of the bickering i don't really like Hardy's Brock, but uh, I can kind of see why they did some of what they did, but just character and everything. Uh, Hardy's Brock 
amazes me that he can get up in the morning and brush his teeth and tie his shoelaces and put on clothes and leave the house. Like he seems like the most incompetent, empty person who's ever lived. Like he, I, I don't yeah. know really what his personality is. Yeah. 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 It just ineffective and <laughs> weird. It's yeah, yeah. so weird. Um, I guess we should note that they are constantly mentioning the words lethal and protector over and over and over again throughout this movie. That mm-hmm. was the name of Venom's first solo series, which is not a great series. I'm sorry. Anybody who remembers it fondly, it's not very good. But that's where... See, uh, even some of the Venom super fans I've seen will admit that a lot of Venom stories aren't good, but they just like the character. Yeah, and I mean, the the book was written by David Michelinie, who was writing Spider-Man at the time, and, and I mm-hmm. do kind of like Michelinie's era of Spider-Man. Eric Larson... Oh, I, I do, uh, yeah, dude, Eric Larson was one of my, if not my favorite Spider-Man artists, kind of of all time. Yeah, well, no, Ron Lim also drew a lot of it. Mark Bagley drew a lot of it. And I like those guys, you know? Yeah, like, that's kind of the error I gravitate to with Spider-Man. Just what I read growing up, I can look at it now and still kind of acknowledge the flaws in it. Like, I mentioned I read Maximum Carnage. I enjoyed it. It's not good, but I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has its time and it has its place. It's just very dated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Eddie kind of interviewing Cletus in San Quentin prison and Cletus telling him to print this really cryptic quote that I wrote down while I was in the movie theater yesterday. More the distance, yeah. yeah, this is the poetry thing. The distance cathedral is all I see. That fractured angel, the other part of me. And Eddie just uh, saying, uh, why, why, why would I print this haiku? And Venom being like, this guy sucks. You know, fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah, Venom has a few, like, just one-liners that kind of crack me up a little bit. And just a brief aside, I guess. Just... Also, everyone in the world being horrible at their jobs kind of is pointed out in this scene where, mm-hmm. like, Eddie's leaving the the prison cell and Venom's like, hold on one second. And Eddie's saying, what are you doing? Your job for you. And looking at the walls that are so obviously areas of San Francisco and so obviously clues, like they're the most obvious of obvious clues on the walls, like written on Cletus's cell or like etched into it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so ridiculous that some guards go into this room every day and they don't think we should probably. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same old crazy people stuff. No big deal. Um, to be fair, to be fair, prison guards aren't always the smartest. I, <laughs> I know a couple. Uh, yeah, I'm friends. Yeah, I'm friends well, with a couple. They're not the brightest guys. No, no, I'm not saying they're all dumb. I'm just saying, that, yeah, it's, you don't have to have the greatest education there or be a, a real go getter to have that kind of job. You mentioned you liked uh, the some of Venom's one liners. Do you like the Eddie Venom bickering in this movie? And do you think that Sometimes. it was done a little bit better than in the first? Cause I think it's done a little bit better yes. in the first and it's a little bit more heavy handed in this one, 
But having Andy Serkis directing this and his involvement and his history with, you know, puttering and murmuring Mm -hmm. schizophrenic motion (laughs) capture icons like Gollum Smeagol probably was really helpful. I think you're right on that, on that, on that being really helpful uh, for him in this movie. It kind of worked for me better in this one because my expectations were different for it. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, it was a hit and miss. There's some moments in this that I thought were genuinely funny, but yeah, not enough to win me over on the movie as a whole. But. <laughs> I wish I brought, you know, in the Olympics when, you know, they hold up those those numbers over their heads, like 9.5. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I just brought one that said 10 so I could just hold it up throughout this movie. It's, and the first 10 moment happens right after the the Kalidas interrogation scene inside of his prison cell where, like, Eddie and Venom are now back at Eddie's apartment and Venom turns out he's got this photographic memory and he has Eddie draw out all of the cell drawings. Eddie says, what do you, what do you think? Eddie says, I think of Pablo Picasso. I have not laughed that hard in a movie theater in ages, buddy. I, I, I can see that. I did not like that. Bit, but <laughs> I, so I, the, the super goofy, fast drawing stuff. It, it felt like an older superhero movie, and that's uh, maybe what they were shooting for, maybe not. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie kind of reminded me of Short Circuit as well. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. There's, there's like a moment later on, too, where it's, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, well, the, the, the photographic memory fast drawing stuff ends up helping Eddie and Venom. Venom, aka Venom, because Eddie is a terrible reporter, we find out, and Venom is the real hero here. Venom is the super yeah, sleuth. Yeah. Uh, they discover where Cletus had been hiding the bodies of his victims at Rodeo Beach because the cave, I almost called it the cave drawing, the cell drawing that Cletus had etched in was apparently the Getty image um, that pops up when you Google Rodeo Beach and it fit perfectly or something like that. Um, and basically, after reporting, these findings, uh, the California governor lifts the state's um, moratorium on the death penalty to execute Cletus. And the cops are all like reading the paper and like shaking their fists like that Brock, that Eddie Brock. Like, what the fuck? He just helped you. Like, why do you hate this guy so much? Like, I don't get that. He's, he's a glory hog. He could have let the police know uh, or let that one detective know at least that was kind of a dick to him. So I guess. <laughs> uh, it's so strange, dude. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> after Eddie kind of regains a little bit of fame, I guess, and kind of gets back into the good of the public graces, this is what I call the first odd couple apartment scene where we see Eddie's apartment is this, dang ass mess just covered in trash and food and chickens live chickens uh, where eddie's basically feeding venom chocolate and chickens to stop him from eating people because apparently the movie says that venom needs something named phenylethamine which is only found in chocolate and brains to live Right, Travis? And yes, yes, they do. And uh, it's very convenient that he needs it and that 
there's this alternative that will keep this PG-13 rating that they're going for. Well, phenylethylamine, or however you pronounce it, is not found in brains, I found out. It's found in chocolate, and it's the like kind of theromone or chemical in chocolate that releases like dopamine receptors to like have the feeling of love. You know, like some people say, like if you eat enough chocolate, it makes you feel happy and gives you this kind of like euphoria. Yeah. Um, this is the chemical that does that. And I think it's kind of sweet that there's this alien life form that just kind of like feeds on love. I think that's kind of kind of poetic. Um <laughs> Uh, this is where we find out this is the first hint that venom is a queer icon he has pet chickens named sunny and Cher that he refuses to eat because they're best friends um he also has a like chew toy tire called snooki named for the acclaimed author of a sure thing um <laughs> i thought it was a jersey shore reference uh, yeah <laughs> that was the joke Oh, oh! You wrote a book. I didn't call uh, her yeah. the reality TV star. I called her the acclaimed author of the oh, book. Oh, I got you. I got you. I didn't yeah. know she wrote a book. It yeah. flew over my head. I only know her in passing. So it's yes, you didn't yes. watch uh, Jersey Shore, huh? No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I thought that show was funny as fuck, man. I, I yeah, used to. I just don't do any of the reality TV for the most part. Yeah, uh, neither neither do I. That one I kind of made an exception for because it was just so bonkers. I also an an Italian American who grew up with a shore house. My dad had a house like two miles north of Seaside Heights, mm-hmm. so I kind of grew up in that bullshit. And my sister and I had like T-shirts that said "I love Guidos" and shit. <laughs> like, yeah, we're yeah, I can people. see it having that appeal for you because of uh, the, the upbringing and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is also the moment where Venom says that he wants to feel the sand between his toes and the wind in his hair and eddie just wants stability and to watch soccer on his cool tv um this is crazy travis these scenes of them bickering are crazy venom lamenting about how he needs to get out of this apartment and he feels like a prisoner and standing up and bashing his head on the ceiling is fucking crazy um them going to Mrs. Chen's bodega for chocolate because they have this like munchie run. Um, they basically like worked out some kind of deal with uh, the bodega owner from the first movie where she feeds them chocolate and they offer protection to the neighborhood and the bodega is insane. Mrs. Mm-hmm. Chen is kind of an MVP in this movie. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um she also says that she's 39 and Venom says, yeah, and I'm Barry Manilow, <laughs> which is makes no sense. No, no, it doesn't. But it's all right. Uh, uh, Mrs. Chen doesn't have any chickens. So um, Mrs. Chen doesn't have any chickens. Mrs. Chen doesn't have any chocolate. So um, Eddie and Venom make a, a chicken run and they go to like a San Francisco chicken farm this is insane and venom starts jumping around buildings lamenting about how they could be out there stopping bad guys and look at all the amazing things they can do they stop a mugger here uh some some mugger is uh is is robbing this old lady and um He's like, I'm going to rip your head off and use it to play bowling and I will get a perfect score and I will bowl yeah, a 300 yeah, game. I- I enjoyed that line. Uh, that was one of the ones that worked for me. I, uh, it is so dumb, but it was, 
it was funny. And I just imagine Venom at the bowling alley. Uh, he apparently likes that bowling alley too. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, they have a clear favorite bowling alley. Uh, like he yeah. strikes. Yes, yes. Uh, which makes me think of cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> me too. I smoked those for a little while. Uh, like he strikes. I do not. Before. I've never really smoked cigarettes, so I couldn't remember if that was a real brand or a movie brand. That, uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's like a that's like an old school brand. I started smoking it because I was watching Mad Men on AMC a lot at the time, and they were all smoking Lucky Strikes. And I was like, man, I should like go out of my way to find out where they sell these fucking things. And I used <laughs> to drive out of my way to like buy this weird brand of cigarettes because I was so obsessed with Mad Men. Oh well, that's... there's there's a quick line here where Venom says um, responsibility is for the mediocre. That feels like a jab at Spider-Man's "with great power comes great responsibility" line. Yeah, a bit, a bit. I, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it later. But just, um, I have questions about Venom and the way this thing develops later on, and there's no answers yet. But yeah, uh. I do. I do want to mention that we don't really get a ton of action uh, with him grind shopping because he didn't have his powers for this movie. We didn't get much of it in the last movie because he doesn't really come to terms with it until the, near the very end. Uh, if memory serves, uh, I do think Venom looks good for the most part. Uh, he's lacking the chest symbol, but maybe down the line, like. They don't make him too monstrous uh, to where it's just... He's just a beast. Uh, he's just like a big dude. I, I prefer that Venom personally. Uh, I, I think he looks better in this than he did in the first one also, and I thought he looked great in the first one. Mm-hmm. And I bet that Andy Circus and his history with motion capture and Weta and design had a lot to do with why he looked so good. They did a lot to the texturing of his lips and his mouth in this and the teeth that allowed Venom to be almost expressive, which I thought was kind of a cool move for a giant monster that eats chickens and brains. Yes. Yes. Um, Venom is running around after stopping this crime and their phone rings and Venom freaks out because it's Eddie's ex-girlfriend and he's excited that she's calling. And he says, it's in, it's in, it's in, you have to pick up. And Brock like falls off a building and is holding on by one hand and Academy Award winning Michelle Williams picks up the line and says, Hey, did I catch you at a bad time? You sound out of breath. And this is where Tom Hardy says, no, it's fine. I'm just hanging around. Yes, yes, he does say that, and it is in my notes. I uh, I don't have it as a particularly high point of the film. I know I, from the look on your face that I may be mistaken. Is that correct? I have ten exclamation points after it in my notes. It takes up half the page with how many exclamation points and smiley faces I drew after it. It was so funny. I, I will say that we are heading towards my favorite scene in the movie, by the way. Very is it the same. restaurant? Yes, yes, it is in the restaurant. It yeah, in the restaurant. We're basically there. So after the phone call, she basically says, like, I have something important I have to tell you. And Venom is all ecstatic and is like, that is the voice of a woman who has just been brutally dumped. She left the doctor, blah, blah, blah. And this is where I remember that Dr. Mm-hmm. Dan was a character. Um, and yes, 
Eddie agrees to meet Anne at their old favorite restaurant where as he's walking it, can we talk about Tom Hardy's motorcycle hair and how perfect it is? He looks like he has just gotten off a motorcycle at all times and his hair is like perfectly messy at all times. But Venom like fixing his cowlick in his hair as he's walking. He's like, I want you to look good for your date. It's crazy. I didn't notice it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly something. <laughs> oh, I mean, you, it, it, it does fit with the tone of the movie and everything. It's, huh? I, I mean, you mentioned this is your favorite scene in the movie. And, and I think the best stuff Whoa. in this movie is where Venom is getting involved in Eddie's personal life in uh-huh. a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that is kind of the thing that I like in this scene. Uh, I'll, I'll let you explain it. Yeah. And- well, Anne is there. Initially, Venom and Eddie think that it's to tell them something along the lines of, you know, we just broke up with, mm-hmm. I'm saying everything as we, that she just broke up with Dr. Dan, but she's there to say, I got engaged to Dr. Dan. I thought that it was a good idea to tell you in person, but now I'm thinking it's not. My life was a roller coaster. I didn't know when to get off. There's another dumb line there everything it feels like this movie was written with like an auto generator basically it's very crazy (laughs) and um and and venom inside his inside eddie's head is like i'm going to make you cry now she will love it she will love it yes that is the line that is Mm -hmm. the line i uh i enjoyed the delivery it's already doing the voice for venom too right it is yeah and he recorded it beforehand there's portions in this movie where you can see the earpiece in Hardy's ear. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that line. It is my favorite bit of the movie because it's, it's silly and it worked. And like this alien creature forcing him to cry is <laughs> fucking hilarious. Uh, that guy is such a dick. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's... Uh, my favorite part of this movie is Eddie storming off on his bike in the rain, talking to Venom about how nothing matters and he won't let anything happen to him. And, you know, he's being reckless and Venom is like helping him. And then <laughs> them pulling over and looking over at the shores of San Francisco and Venom apologizing to Eddie saying, I cannot mend a broken heart. And for that, I am truly sorry. And and Tom Hardy says, well, you know what? I'm a real boy and you're just an alien goo monster. And he says, I am a real boy in this fucking movie. It is crazy. Yeah, that was a really weird line. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have much to say about it other than it struck out as being the weirdest line maybe in the movie. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, in, yeah, in a, in a movie with shockingly weird lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, as they're driving away to Venom says, it's okay, buddy. We'll cheer you up. It's very strange. And, and then Venom does try and cheer him up the next morning by making him a big sloppy breakfast and singing the, uh, let's call the whole thing off that famous duet about two people who are together, but can't agree on anything. Symbolism, mm-hmm. Travis symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. It's very subtle. Very subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this scene was famously in the first trailer. It does not get old to me, and it it sells the entire pitch of the movie. This goofy buddy comedy uh, that eventually turns into a breakup movie, which is insane. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know if I mentioned it on air. I know we've talked about it probably ad nauseum at this point for, for you. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think, uh, I know I personally want a more serious take on Venom. And I know he's very silly at a certain point in the comics. Uh, Donny Kate's run is fairly serious. And uh, the 90s version of the Vicar starts off serious and then he gets kind of goofy for a bit. Uh, I don't know how long I haven't read Lethal Protector. <laughs> but it, I think most people kind of want the character they imagined Venom to be in the 90s. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a huge... He's just such a cool-looking character. And, yeah. There's a huge clamoring for... Of for these movies to be rated R and to take themselves seriously, right? There's a huge subsect carnage being involved in this one. Uh, and I mentioned I read Maximum Carnage not that long ago, and that is a PG 13 book. There, almost all the kills happen off screen. Uh, Donnie Cates, Absolute Carnage is probably rated R. Uh, uh, there's some real body horror stuff in that one. Uh, yeah. Do you know uh, about minimum? Do you know about minimum carnage? I have to interrupt you. No, no, I don't. I don't. Okay, okay. minimum carnage is baby carnages. What if carnage was tiny? That's oh, literally what it's about. Oh. Well, that is. Uh, I'm thinking of Army of Darkness and the uh, little ashes. Uh, it's exactly like that. It's exactly like that. It's uh, so strange. But the the conception that people want of this character this thing that in their mind they take as so serious and dark and brooding where it's really just a cool spider-man costume that was given life by iconic imagery it's only based on iconic imagery there's nothing really more than that in my opinion in the comics you know yeah yeah well when he starts out like his power set being uh, stronger than Spider-Man and immune to Spider-Man's spider sense. That makes it interesting somewhat. And then like him early on just beating the fuck out of the black cat, leaving her battered yeah. and bloody. Mm-hmm. That is about as dark as it gets in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, he doesn't stay a villain long enough for me. Uh, yeah. Lethal Protector was, oh my gosh. So the character was introduced in 88. Lethal Protector was 93. So he got five years of being a villain before he was redeemed to mm-hmm. heroics. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, uh, they could have done more, I think. And I mean, I imagine they introduced Carnage to <laughs> capitalize on the whole thing and everything. But yeah, it's just the same. Uh, or possibly sell more toys. You think? <laughs> what yeah. if we had a red one? I, I I don't want to be that cynical, but I've actually read a transcript of those uh, early Marvel's uh, Marvel uh, toy pitch meetings, and yeah, they're they're very uh, <laughs> very uh, money hungry. Just uh, it you can tell there's like one person on it that actually likes characters, and he just has to explain to them what kind of accessories the character gets. <laughs> and why those accessories work. I mean, yeah. you've heard those stories no, about... Like, is he a gun guy or is he a knife guy? Or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You've heard those stories about Lucas pitching pretty much every single 
like new character or new um like vehicle in the prequels as a toy before them making sense in the story where every single vehicle had like the button you push that has something kind of open oh. up along those lines like the spider droids all those kinds of yeah, things yeah. they were they're essentially just you know him selling a toy and then putting it in a movie to later sell a toy it's very strange at the same time i mean toys kind of made star wars in a way uh mm-hmm. uh they definitely funded the sequels. <laughs> yeah, they made they made Lucas's you know entire empire. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, that's what I'm gonna say. Is like the movie toy industry entirely. Uh, I don't imagine it was anything before that, and then it just every movie gets a toy if it's yeah, anyway and- possible. Uh, and Kenner, who was like the main toy company for like boys action figures and things along those lines, was bought by Mattel because of Star Wars. The company that was famous for making Barbie bought Star Wars. You know, there were at least the toy rights and things along those lines. So, you know, it was like Hasbro. And I have a lot of issues because I think Hasbro and Mattel just merged. I could be incorrect oh. in saying that. Yeah. So it's just like a big, it's just like one toy company, basically, outside of uh, outside of McFarland, you know. Yeah, that is. Did you pre- did you pre-order the Batman McFarlane toys yet? I don't allow myself to. I, oh, I did it this morning. I got a Kelly uh, and yeah. a yeah, and a, yeah, and a yeah. Rob Pattinson. <laughs> I, I I'm doing the statues. I'm not doing any more of the regular figures. Uh, I uh I have a few of the Iron Studios thing, and then I have a few of the artifacts premiere statues, and I have a, a Doctor Doom statue. I'm waiting in the mail for where he murders a bunch of dinosaurs. Oh, that's a super rad one. I, I have a ton yeah. of statues too. I love the Diamond Selects, mm-hmm. the PVC ones, and yes, I think that yes. they're like really affordable. I like the Art FX ones because I think they're really affordable, and mm-hmm. the articulation and design on them are really cool. I'm looking at a cool Weapon X one that I got recently right now, <laughs> but I am also looking at my super rad McFarlane Toys DC Metal, where Batman is wearing a coat and playing a Hellraiser guitar and I'm yeah, thinking like, yeah, it's like a sickle on the guitar. Yeah. I these action figures and stuff like that is why I can't have money. I <laughs> because like the Iron Studios has a giant sentinel figure with a bunch of X Men beating the fuck out of it. They actually have three of these things, all different. And if I had money, that's what I would have in, instead of money. It's <laughs> <laughs> just toys everywhere. <laughs> And they're gigantic. It's like a one-tenth scale Sentinel or something ridiculous. Uh, the uh, Marvel Legends, they release these like three packs, kind of, that come in these really cool, like big, long boxes. They just came out with one of those cool, like future Sentinel, the big white ones. And it yeah, comes with I, a Psylocke, dude. And it's like classic Psylocke. And there's a part of me that's like, man, I want to spend 50 bucks on this thing. Right now. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, that Marvel Legends Galactus figure that they Ugh. just kept getting more and more ridiculous with it. I absolutely would have loved it, but yeah, I, I took, I did start Marvel Legends at one point. I took them off my shelf so I would stop buying them because they are just, there's just so many of them. And I keep my God Emperor Doom holding a uh, a spinal cord right in front oh, of me yeah. at all times. Yeah, For, that's my uh, motivation. Thanos. <laughs> Yeah. Skeleton, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I got a aim beekeeper one too in front of me, which I think is fun too. Mm-hmm. We'll get the beekeepers. 
someday in live action, I think. Uh, we came so close. I remember, I remember yeah. the simpler days of the podcast when we were doing WandaVision and we didn't know what we were doing and we had just started the show and we would just talk about beekeepers for an hour and, and our theories for like hours and hours and stuff. We, oh, we didn't yeah. really have a format. We were just kind of winging it during WandaVision. It was so fun. It's bold of you to assume that we know what we're doing now. It's, <laughs> we just went on a 20-minute tangent on action figures. I, uh, I hope that the audience enjoys it. Yes. Well, we could talk about my second favorite line of the movie, where Venom gets the mail for Eddie before he serves him breakfast, and he has a postcard from Cletus Cassidy, and Venom asks him, are you pen pals with an ant? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He does. He does indeed say that. Yeah. It's it the the postcard is Cletus Cassidy inviting Brock to his execution because he thinks that the person responsible for putting him to death should be bearing witness to his death, I suppose, even though Eddie's not responsible for it. <laughs> uh he killed a bunch of people, so he would be responsible for it. And then Cletus's backstory and origin is retold with weird Tim Burton style figure drawings of him killing his family and saying, bye bye, grandma. Sorry, I'm a bad boy. It's very I, I like the animation and stuff. Uh, it is bizarre. Uh, it's also done to keep that PG-13 rating that we've talked about. <laughs> Just, sure. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if you're gonna do it, that's a, a fun way to keep it that way, I guess. Uh, Nothing prior to this or after this is totally in line with there being animated cartoon characters for the flashback it comes out of nowhere <laughs> and just exists for some mm -hmm. reason, so it's another choice. That's a strong choice in a movie filled with very strong and deliberate choices. Um, <laughs> when when there's clips of Cletus writing this letter also, and while he's writing it and the, and he's noting how every hero has his origin story, a spider crawls and he mm -hmm. smacks it and licks it. It's kind of acknowledging the Spider-Man origin in a lot yes, of ways. It is. It is. Uh... Yeah, and I guess we're going to be getting something in the future. But <laughs> I know. Uh, we'll get to I it. Am, we'll get to it. Uh, I am one who eats spider now instead of spider eating you, you know? So. so the San Quentin execution sequence, when Venom and Eddie arrive, uh, Venom wants to eat all the prisoners and notes how it's like an all-you-can-eat head buffet, but Eddie reminds him about how they binged Making of a Murderer together, acknowledging that they Netflix and chill, as the kids say, and this is some golden um, Tom Hardy muttering to himself. It's yes, gold. yes, and you don't really expect uh, any analyzing of the criminal justice system flaws to be in a movie like this, really. Uh, because it's just not that type of movie. But there you have it. There's a lot of things in this movie where you don't expect them to even even touch or skim the surface of something yeah. larger, and they do. 
the big one being the coming out moment, which I'm sure <laughs> we're going to talk about at length when it happens. But even here with the criminal justice reform that you were kind of talking about, how Eddie's saying a lot of these people, wrongful convictions, false testimonies, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. He, he puts it on the line. So do they go into it? No. Is it there? Yes. So take yeah, it for yeah, what you will. Passing reference to it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I also like how they're, they start getting into an argument and they're both saying, you suck, you suck, you suck to each other. And then he eventually just tells some lady like, you suck. And she's like, excuse me. He's like, I, I don't have a excuse for that. I don't have that line as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just not trying to make up a, a lame excuse. Just right, yeah, like, just a panic attack, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eddie visits Cletus Cassidy during his last meal here, and I couldn't make out what the last meal that Cletus was eating, as you know we all kind of know when you're put on death row, you get your choice of whatever you want for whatever your last meal is going to be. Mm -hmm. What would yours be if you had one? Oh God. Uh, Probably something Italian. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, Just like noodles and pizza and just, it'd be some type of pizza probably. Uh, I am a simple man. (laughs) I know. I really uh, like chicken fried steak, and I never get it. Do you have you ever had that? It's crazy. Yes, yes, I have. I have uh, a fair amount actually. But yeah, I had a lot of it when I was a kid, but I can't find it anywhere up here anymore. But like deep fried oh, fucking. If you go to prison, you get plenty of it. That is one. Of oh, really? <laughs> things to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, go commit crimes, uh, reenact Carnage's uh, murderous killing uh, spree here, and. Stephen Woods, a serial killer. I'm I'm reading about famous last meals. He was executed in 2011. His order included a large pizza topped with every meat you could possibly think of, including fried chicken, garlic bread steak, breadsticks, chicken fried steak, hamburgers, Jesus Christ, bacon, ice cream, and every and and Mountain Dew, Pepsi, root beer, and sweet tea, all at the same time. See. I don't like my pizza over stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. I. I, I like it with the vegetables and stuff like that, but not, not the meats. Uh, too at most. I, I don't know if you have like specialty pies down by you, but it's a big thing up here in New York where uh, like buffalo chicken pizza and chicken bacon ranch pizza. Macaroni and cheese pizza, stuff like that. Whatever you want. Yeah, I yeah. am so tired of ordering that stuff. I was like way into it when it first kind of started getting, you know, popularized, I guess, in like the late aughts, early 2010s. I was ordering it quite a bit, but now I, I'm just a simple man and I like I like my my red sauce and cheese kinda. You know, I, I get I prefer basic pizza. As someone who oh, eats okay. pizza three well, days. I, was going to say, I, I know you said before that you're Italian and I thought Italians had an issue with all the, the various toppings and stuff. I kinda YouTube, do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like mm-hmm. all the toppings pretty much except for the pineapple. I'm not a pineapple person. Uh, Neither am I. I, I think pizza. Do when you put pineapple on pizza, do you put it with red sauce? Have you ever seen it? I've never even. I, seen I've it. never tried it. I I just I I just 
hate the idea of it, honestly. Uh, yeah, I'm also allergic to pineapple. It's like the only thing I'm allergic to, and it makes oh, my really? my uh, throat like close up. Yeah, it's my uh, my kryptonite. It's very delicious. Don't let you don't let things hinder you in life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it challenges well, your limitations sometimes, John. Uh, I f- I found out because I was I was drinking too much and I was putting you know pineapple juice and something and like some kind of drink and then like before the end of the night I was like I feel really weird and I'm having trouble breathing and then I just woke up in a hospital with a tube in my throat because oh, my throat wow. had closed completely because it got so swollen from how allergic I am to it like I I just like got all these hives and like couldn't breathe so I think you really doubt as far as the, someone being around you being attentive to uh mm-hmm, your mm-hmm. breathing uh, thank god um but yeah, I like I'm a simple man when it comes to my pizza. I like pepperoni. Pepperoni and onions, I don't know if you fuck with that. That's kind of the way to go. <laughs> Cletus Cassidy kind of sees Eddie as this kindred spirit, which I don't really get, but I, I suppose I do. They're, they they, <laughs> they need both to talk f- to move forward, John. I uh that's... quickly. Quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so like they're both responsible for their mother's death. Right. They both had abusive fathers and they both lost the woman that they loved. So check, check, how does, check. How does Carnage know that uh, all that about Rock is? I, I don't recall that being mentioned anywhere else, but. Uh... I have no idea. I didn't even remember any of that about Brock. They kind of just reminded us in the movie, I guess, that Brock's <laughs> mom died during childbirth and his dad was abusive. So that's a thing, right? I just, it just is a bit weird that this random serial killer knows this about Eddie Brock. And I don't, like, Eddie Brock's not famous. I don't think they were. Well, he was on, he did, he did have the famous, uh, he had the Eddie Brock report, so we can't forget. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe he was airing his, his public, his private life to the public. I have no fucking clue. He had um, to be. I mean, if Woody Harrelson, father being a murderer or a hitman, is is super common knowledge, and that guy's super famous. I don't with Brock. Yes. Uh, fucking um, Brock basically tells Cletus that he's fucking nuts, and Cletus starts kind of digging deep. And this makes Venom upset because he's hurting his friend's feelings and Venom starts smacking Cletus around and eventually gets bit. And this Mm. is where Carnage is born. Well, before that, uh, when he's reading the poetry stuff again. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. wait. He says, I'm on a magical misery tour. That's what he says. Yes, yes. And... uh, he talks about tombs of some kind and the Venom commentary in that scene made me think he was supposed to be the audience surrogate and was supposed <laughs> to be, like if the dialogue goes over the audience's head he's just supposed to like write it off for them mm-hmm. whereas he's the audience surrogate and they think the audience is really dumb I think is the uh, <laughs> or at least they're covering their bases for the dumber <laughs> members of the audience I think he says, uh, uh, "This this guy makes no sense." Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yes. Uh, uh, the origin of Venom in the comics is different, to say the least. Um, <laughs> it's one so, of the good stories of, with the Venom characters, just the creation win. Uh, yeah, it, like symbiotes poop out babies, right? 
that's a thing that they do in in Marvel comics. They eventually just kind of like spawn other symbiotes. And for some, I I have no, I don't know that much about the lore of the um, what are they called, Clintars? Yes, symbiotes. Yes. But I do know that. And in the comics, I forget what Eddie Brock was in prison for. I know it was after Lethal Protector. So Eddie Brock is in prison and his cellmate is Cletus Cassidy. And Venom breaks Eddie out. And during the breakout, he poops out the little symbiote baby. <laughs> and the symbiote baby goes inside of Cletus Cassidy. And in the comics, he's not a symbiote like doesn't um doesn't cletus actually merge his blood with carnage there it's not I think that's an eventual thing it's like after his first near-death uh experience or whatever where they kill the character and then they bring him back later and it's because mm-hmm. that's how he survives if i remember right is it it's yeah. it's in his a blood. single entity yeah, yeah, he's like yeah, a single entity. It's also why uh, Carnage is stronger than Venom, I think. It, it, the idea is that it, the bonding process was more of a match or whatever. I, I think there's some of that in this movie, too, later on. Uh, with the I, love some, I love that stuff. I cannot wait to talk about that stuff. <laughs> They're not symbiotic. <laughs> They're not a perfect match like us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's can you imagine little Tom Holland with his little oh yes sir yes sir please sir can I have some more sir talking to this venom like oh Mr. Brock oh Mr. Brock shut the fuck up <laughs> this gets fucking annoying it's going I, to be so weird yeah yeah I guess we've already worried about spoilers but yeah seeing how this version of Venom is going to interact with Tom Holland Spider-Man is going to be interesting uh, oh, Mr. Brock. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not super on board for it. Like, if I had to choose between not having Tom Holland, Spider-Man, or Venom winding up in an Avengers film or something like that, I would choose the no, no, no Tom Holland. <laughs> I like the Venom movies more than the Spider-Man, Tom Holland solo movies. Yeah. Is the end of the podcast. No. <laughs> this is it. Not just the end for today. This is the end. Yeah. Forever. Just, the podcast is over. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, the friendship. No. <laughs> yeah, everything. Travis and I yeah. won't talk. I'll I, continue with Multiverse of Radness. I, I love those Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, even though it's got a different take on Spider-Man. Uh, I think the Raimi films are a better, more close uh, adaptation of Spider-Man, uh, but Tobey Maguire can't quit for shit. So, no, he's terrible at it. And I don't think his Peter Parker is all that great, honestly. He's, he's nerdy, but he's not the least bit fucking likable to me. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I guess we'll talk about it more towards the end when we start talking a little bit more about Tom Holland. And and I know that sounds kind of harsh. Like, I like these Venom movies a little bit more. But oh, yeah, yeah. I will just... I will put on the first Venom, and I'm sure when this comes to home video, I'll put this on over Homecoming or Far From Home any day of the week. And it might just be like, I got 90 minutes to kill. This is perfect, as opposed well, to me putting on the the, the Homecoming and, and Far From Home. I can kind of understand that. Like, X-Men Apocalypse is kind of my go-to 
X-Men movie to watch sure. because it's really dumb and I can not pay too much attention to it and it's uh, it, it's a similar thing with Batman versus Superman where it's just like how why did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what was the thought process behind what they've done here? This uh, it's just kind of this interesting oddity that exists, and yeah, you have and a lot of genuinely fun. like moments of like metapocalypse, like the opening. me too. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the Egypt four horsemen are way cooler than the characters that I'm supposed to know and love. And <laughs> the know, really like, brief "Let's go to the mall" sequence is fucking great. If that would have been longer, that would have made the movie so much better. Uh, I hope Kevin Feige is taking notes on what we want from uh, the X-Men. We want extended baseball scenes and mold trips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, that, that, oh, no, that's Dark Phoenix where there's a party and they show Storm making the ice cubes. I like that bit. And Dazzler's, and Dazzler's in there. In full mm-hmm. Dazzler disco glory. Yeah, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. So, Travis, this might be a good time for me to pitch the X-Men movie that I've been writing in my head for the past week while I've been home. Okay. Not yes, so hot. All right. So this is how it starts. It starts with a Dazzler concert. Mutants are not out yet. They, mm-hmm. they, no one knows that they exist. People don't know Dazzler is a superhero or, yeah. or Dazzler is a mutant, like, right? Like, like uh, Katy Perry or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So it starts with like, you know, the credits to black fading in between the crowd, like Dazzler, Dazzler, and her like backstage, like really nervous. This concert is flashing to the X-Men already established as a team doing some sort of black ops mission. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's flashing between the Dazzler concert and the X-Men on some sort of mission. Right. The X-Men mission Mm -hmm. gets blown in the middle of this, their cover gets blown. People find out mutants exist while the Dazzler concert's going on. All the lights come on because everyone's on their phones, like getting the notification that something has gone down and mutants exist. Dazzler storms off the stage crying to find this out. And Dazzler is our Kitty Pride Jubilee rogue audience surrogate. Okay. Nick, uh, that's kind of fun. I um, her power set similar to Jubilee's too, so it's <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. But she's got the the disco look and everything. Uh, uh, and I think it would be fun to have her be the audience surrogate to, or or be the the POV character too, because there will be this like disgraced pop star element where it's like how why should we listen to you you're just some like spoiled kid you know what i mean kind of thing going as opposed to just like a nobody but i just like the idea of there being this like pop concert and it it cutting between the concert and this like crazy action scene and then that being where the mutants get outed and everyone because i've been at a concert where an amber alert went off one time oh yeah yeah, and like 20,000 people were just like, all our phones just started beeping all at the same time. Like, what the fuck is happening? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. all the lights turned on because it was just so confusing. Um, I don't know. I think it would be fun. That's my my new pitch. So, I have no like, idea how surprised I was. This wasn't just a, uh, a, 
<laughs> roundabout way to pitch me a Fast and the Furious X-Men crossover. I, mean, <laughs> I was fully expecting a man in a vehicle. Uh, to pull up and say Dazzler was family? <laughs> yes, yes, I I fully was. Uh, she may yeah. be a mutant, but she's still family, is what I was expecting there, yes. Well, isn't Namor and the Incredible Hulk still technically owned by Universal? I, at this point, I don't know. I know when Hulk gets like a distribution thing, they can't really make a Hulk movie. They just get first crack at distributing it. So that's why we haven't got another solo one. With Namor, I don't have any idea what the situation there is. I imagine something similar, though. Uh well, that's where the crossover would be. It would be Don Toretto versus the actual fucking Hulk. I think that would work. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The uh, the next scene in Venom is incredible. This is the breakup scene where Eddie and Venom are back at the apartment and they have a domestic ex- dispute, basically, and have their falling out. And Venom starts breaking all the dishes and screaming at Eddie to get out, get out of this apartment, get your things and leave. And Eddie's saying, this is my apartment. I'm not leaving. It's like the crazy wife yelling at the crazy husband in every sitcom ever, you know, like the exaggerated domestic dispute, the exaggerated marriage falling out or breakup falling out scene but it's happening between a black goo monster and Tom Hardy with yes, a neck. Beard. I enjoyed the, the headbutt and then the second headbutt. Uh, it is just, it was the best part of the breakup scene for me. I, I like physical comedy and that, that part worked. Uh, pretending you catch on them like, Oh, I'm sorry that I hit you. And then just hitting them again. It's, Pretty awful whenever you frame it in the light of domestic abuse, but well, that's why I call it a d- domestic dispute, not domestic abuse. But yeah, still. yeah, it's man on symbiote violence. It's not. <laughs> I'm sorry, I broke your nose. Let me fix it so I can yeah. break it again. <laughs> he throws his TV out the fucking window and then eventually trashes his uh, Ducati. And, yeah, like, yeah, get- he sounds like the Kool Aid Man in that scene for some reason to me. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it is very much like that. Uh, he then turns into some woman riding her bicycle, and a giant symbiote arm gives Eddie the finger and says, Sayonara, sucker. <laughs> it is <laughs> very dumb, and I can understand the appeal, even if I personally did not tell it. Uh, I was loving it. Um, I loved it a lot more than Cletus's death penalty sequence where he's basically being given the lethal injection and this is what activates the symbiote and he mm-hmm. screams something wicked this way roars before turning uh, into carnage. I didn't make that out. I am glad that's pretty cringy. And <laughs> This is where uh, I talk about Macbeth for an hour. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Ray Bradbury for another hour. No, it's very cringy and very stereotypical. He tells the uh, families and the people witnessing it, like, enjoy the show in his weird voice. Um, in the comics, Cletus's symbiote merges with his blood. In yes. this, the injection causes his blood to activate the symbiote. It's, it's very weird, but... 
Yeah, I think it's really a defense mechanism here. Uh, sure. The host just defending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming defending the host rather. Uh, what did you think about how Carnage looked and also how Carnage sounds when he roars? Uh, I don't think he looks terrible. I do wish he used more of his gimmick blades. I. Uh, I don't know what the curved one's called, other than it makes me think of uh, the pit and the pendulum. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he yep. doesn't use that that uh, thing at all. He doesn't turn his hand into an axe or anything. I need more gimmicks. I know that I've complained about gimmicks with Spider-Man, no. but with Carnage, I kind of like him being creative, almost like a Green Lantern. He's uh, a gimmick character. He's just red venom. He's a reskin yeah, yeah. venom. And, uh, sleeker uh, model, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably a symbiote called Sleek that we don't know about, Travis. They all there are so many fucking symbiotes with dumb names. I know. Well, uh, yeah, I I like Venom. I like Scream, even though I don't understand why that's not Shriek uh, in symbiote form. But whatever. Is it? Uh, is that yellow Venom? Yes. The the yeah. girl Venom, Philly School, mm-hmm. uh, and that's mm-hmm. the only reason that I. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Venom scream sounds awesome. It it definitely sounds like some sort of process thing that they had Woody Harrelson do later on. They they it sounds like Harrelson layered with an actual monster scream. Seeing as how the symbiotes are vulnerable to sound, it kind of confuses me how they're not hurt by their screaming. But whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I do have to ask if this is something from the comics. Because I'm going to mock something later on that is from the comics. The uh, the Carnage whirlwind. The Carnage turning into a fucking tornado. Yes, I do want to talk about that. I don't know if that's from the comics, but that is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I I did not like it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know I was just bitching about the lack of gimmick stuff, but that's not the kind of gimmick stuff I want kind of Carnage. Uh that's like, like a full-on new power, pretty much. Uh, I believe so. I, I can't find anything when I Google Carnage Tornado Marvel. Oh, but... yeah, yeah. I imagine that's not great. Yeah, just... Uh... Yeah. Lots of pictures of tornadoes wreaking carnage, but no carnage turning into a tornado, unfortunately. The, um, the prison break does have him sticking his giant tongue down somebody's throat to impale him, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, it has uh, the inmates cheering, which I thought was kind of funny because in Maximum Carnage, you just mentioned how you recently read it, Carnage breaks out of Ravencroft, not San Quentin, but he does free all of the inmates of Ravencroft, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, because they're all running loose in the city and messes with street star she has the ability to enhance uh, people's moods or something along those oh, lines. Oh, yeah, 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 it makes yeah. the whole city crazy, pretty much. Mm-hmm. What did you think of, uh, <laughs> what did you think of Woody Harrelson appropriating the Johnny Cash song San Quentin and saying that word and taste just like ham? That was bizarre. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, this action beat is probably the most action, uh, the most kills that Carnage has in the movie. I, uh, it's, it's tame. It, it looks like something out of Maximum Carnage, kind of. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah. 
Uh, I can't. I'm glad they they they, they, yeah. they embrace the the really vascular tentacle stuff. You know, even if he's <laughs> not like a, a as as red a boy as I would have liked. I like the kind of vascular tentacles and the spiky tentacles. Mm-hmm. In the comics, he shoots he shoots like arrow things, right? Like I, he does in this. I think so. I would imagine he has at some point. <laughs> I imagine I mainly recognize the uh, the curved blade hand that he uses and the axe and stuff like that. Uh, the next scene of this movie, Travis, features Venom going on a walkabout and partying and using people up and inevitably stumbling upon what appears to be a gay club and this is the sequence where venom officially becomes like a queer icon in the weirdest way possible Mm -hmm. um the first movie i have joked in the past about the queer undertones how eddie and venom love each other and there's this whole having trouble accepting you for who you are on the inside and what you have on the inside and not being able to embrace that and this kind of in the closet kind of vibe that is all subtext in the first movie and maybe me thinking I'm losing my mind and thinking too much about this uh, crappy 90 minute action comedy based on a giant space monster too much but then this movie just leaves all subtlety and subtext out the window as the party goers all love Venom for Venom. And he finally feels free, embraced, and accepted. And when one says that he's hot, Venom shoots her down by saying she's not his type and then says, I am out of the Eddie closet. And that is the fucking moment, dude. Venom takes a mic from rapper Little Sims, who actually is Tom Hardy's friend and like had a viral video on TikTok um kind of you know get big because she has a song called Venom. Oh, um funny. yeah and he and he grabs a fucking mic from her wearing a bunch of glow sticks, having a great time, um, and has like a big speech about acceptance and and aliens finally being accepted for the people that they really are and who they really are and then says lethal protector out and like drops the fucking mic it is crazy dude yeah i saw some articles about the queer coding in this movie and i just i don't think it counts as coding whenever it's just deliberate <laughs> and then your friend inside the eddie out of the eddie closet line and just it's it's a ridiculous thing and uh it's fun uh I I did note that the girl he shoots down is wearing a mask from the Purge. <laughs> oh the really? Third. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's literally from the third Purge movie. Uh, one of the uh, more annoying characters in the movie. Where is it? And I actually like that one. Uh, it's not like a, a great horror movie or anything, but it's good for the Purge. <laughs> the um, I saw the Babadook. Someone dressed as the Babadook in there too. Oh, I didn't notice who- that. Uh, yeah, and and that's a figure that's been kind of recontextualized by the um, LGBTQ plus community, right? Yes, yes. Uh, not as effectively as the rainbow, which I I just love that Christians don't think about the <laughs> biblical story of the rainbow anymore when they see one. It's just, uh, yeah, it's the gay communities now, and that is 
a delight. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to have to bad for an audio medium. So uh, people listening, I'm sorry. I'm showing oh, Travis oh, my yes. uh He's got my... a uh, Vin Diesel uh, family rainbow shirt. He'll have to post a picture of it on, on the Facebook group. Yes, MCU Beyond Infinity Facebook group. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the first superhero movie where I think they take the subtext of queer identity and make it actual text. I can't think of another one that has done it. I, you know, we've heard about the Chloe Zhao's Eternals coming out, being banned mm-hmm. in China for this extended, um, um, you know, homosexual relationship, I think between uh, two men. And there, there is a man on man kiss in that, that got abandoned a lot of countries. So, mm-hmm. so that is coming. There's the <laughs> kind of joke of the, uh, this scene in Rise of Skywalker where they're like, we have a homosexual... going to mention. How could you not be happy with that amount of representation that's just tacked onto the end there so it could easily be cut out for foreign markets? Or the Anthony... Uh, maybe it's Anthony or Joe Russo in Endgame <laughs> talking about how he, he went on a date and, and the guy yeah. got this and he got this, like the kind of the support group where it's like, see representation. It's like, no, that's yeah. not representation. We need a character to say it or do it. Like you mm-hmm. need to have it. And then Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage did it. <laughs> and that's crazy. <laughs> Uh, it is crazy. And, and again, I don't think we're the people to speak on it um, at length as much as, you know, some other people actually being part of that community. But mm-hmm. Travis and I are both strong allies of this community, and we can't reiterate that enough. And and I can't yeah. reiterate that enough, how acceptance and individuality should be embraced so while I'm not going to speak on it much more than we have, and yeah, we made a couple jokes and I'm sorry uh, if, if any of that did offend you, but it's with the best intentions. We have the best intentions when talking about this. And and I love this. I love this part of the fucking movie. It's crazy and amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then him waddling out of the nightclub kind of drunkenly and falling on the ground and saying, I wish you could have seen us tonight, Eddie. I wish you could have seen us. And that like, I miss you Eddie moment is yeah yeah kind of sweet dude it is it is uh we kind of didn't talk about it at all yet but the using up the host kind of weird yeah i can't tell if they're supposed to be dead or if it's just like uh he leaves after they get physically exhausted uh just too tired to continue or something well we know from the last movie that the hosts have all died and that's why venom sticks with eddie brock because he's the only one who can take it so he's killing he's not a lethal protector at the moment he's a no just lethal he's just lethal he says another one's bites the dust another you Uh know song famously performed by a queer icon but just (laughs) a coincidence Uh yeah probably just a coincidence except this movie wasn't made by idiots this movie was made by smart people who make real fucking art that's why it's so crazy that this movie exists travis it's Uh, it's not the first gay character tom hardy's played either oh really 
Yeah, he's a he plays a gay character in one of the uh, oh, uh, Guy Ritchie movies. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he does. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess we can kind of say, like, kind of on the social justice, uh, the, the SJW front, uh, party <laughs> is is fucking outspoken, mm-hmm. like ally. Like Mad Max Fury Road is like a feminist masterpiece and Mad Max and Furiosa themselves are kind of feminist icons in a lot of ways. Like the, hey, do you, do you remember, were you a Tumblr guy, Travis? No, no, I, uh, I am not, I have not been on there much. This movie makes me wish Tumblr still existed. <laughs> um, cause it's like kind of perfect breeding ground for Tumblr memes, but there was a uh, oh, feminist yeah. Mad Max, uh, like, craze on tumblr years ago where it was just pictures of mad max saying like hey girl you don't have to tell me about your um history as a sex slave i believe you no matter what things like that you know (laughs) or like hey girl you should take the wheel you're a much better driver than me anyway you know like stuff like that um it's and they've said in interviews like circus i'm not gonna know the um, the acronym, but you know, I say LGBTQ plus because I always forget what the plus is. And again, anyone, I'm so sorry. That's not offensive. I just don't know it off the top of my head. And I didn't write it down, but Andy circus knew every single acronym when he was saying like, there's a coming out scene in this movie. And it is very fucking intentional. And Tom Hardy has been like, there's a coming out scene in this movie. And it is very fucking intentional. Mm-hmm. And this week, um, there's been a lot of headlines where Superman is gay, right? So it has been published for clickbait purposes and to ignite fans, quote unquote fans, uh, arguing with each other in comment sections. There has been a lot of people saying, stop messing with history of iconic characters. And then there's me underneath explaining This character has only been around for five years. This headline is misleading. It's not Mm -hmm. It's intentionally misleading. Uh, It's intentionally misleading to to do exactly what it's doing and get you exactly as upset and get as many people to click on this as possible. Yeah, yeah. But um, Dean Cain, who played uh, Superman on um, The Adventures of Lois and Clark years ago, he kind of came out saying how big of a joke it is. And this is woke culture gone mad. Even though I guess the guy who plays Superman doesn't even know that this isn't necessarily Clark Kent. And then Tom Hardy basically had an interview this week telling him to shut the fuck up and that it's cool. And I just love him. I love this fucking guy. And I love that he's so involved. Like Tom Hardy deserves a franchise. You know, he deserves a franchise like the way, Tom Cruise has Mission Impossible or Keanu has John Wick or even RDJ had Iron Man. Like Tom Hardy is one of those big actors who like deserves one of these. And I kind of like that he's embraced this franchise to weird places, you know, and, and mm-hmm. take it to weird places. And again, turns the subtext into text, but doesn't beat you over the head with it, makes it really fun and makes it extremely digestible. You know, this is not a preachy movie in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree with that. Uh, I mean, the gif of 
uh, venom covered in the little light rings or whatever they're called. The glow sticks? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's just a silly, fun thing. Uh, it is really funny to see a giant space monster covered in glow sticks telling everyone he's out of the closet, dropping a mic and saying, lethal protector out. There's also a scene <laughs> where like he doesn't know what to say and someone's like, I love you. And he's like, thank you, that one person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very... Uh, it's a funny scene, and it's well-intentioned, for sure. Uh, yeah, it has the best of intentions, and, and I think there's something very sincere about that. Um, Cletus Cassidy suits up, it gets a really bad wardrobe, steals a really cool red car. Yeah, he gets a uh, worse haircut somehow. Like, they don't show him getting his haircut, but he definitely gets a worse wig at some point in the movie. <laughs> It's very bizarre. He he's he's got a Ronald McDonald wig on in in the post credit scene to the first movie, and then this one he's kind of upgraded to a the the Wendy's girl wig. But yeah, he gets like a worse well, haircut. There's like he has two haircuts in this movie. In the beginning one, it's not as bad as the Venom one movie, and then it gets worse towards the end. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know what the decision making there was, but uh. maybe Carnage is doing his hair the same way Venom was uh, checking on Eddie's hair. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like the Matrix where that's kind of his mm-hmm. ideal haircut. Yeah, yeah self-imagery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, he takes the stolen car and drives up to a gas station while an inspected deck song is blasting. He stomps the guy behind the counter out and asks him, you got any of that internet thing? Oh and then yeah, uses he, sure his, does. he sure does. And he uses his carnage tendrils to become the internet and find uh, out yeah, that Streep is still alive. I think I mentioned it before we started rolling, how this scene reminds me so much of the X-Men Apocalypse scene where Apocalypse is touching the TV or whatever and asking what he's doing and he just says learning and it's so... So dumb, and it reminds me of Short Circuit a bit. I, uh, I knew it. Where, I knew this was the Short Circuit. The yeah, input. Yeah. Input, input. Yeah, yeah. Where except Short Circuit, it makes more sense. Because uh, he's just like flipping through books and stuff at a rapid rate. But yeah, uh, you you mentioned that this is actually something that was done in the comics. Where this is something that Carnage, yeah. Carnage yeah. has the power to go into the internet uh, in the early days of the internet, back when, you know, movies like Hackers or The Net or Johnny Mnemonic were a thing and people didn't really understand what the internet was. And he would go into the internet and jump out of a computer screen and like eat people, basically. So there is some validity to this in terms of it being an adaptation to the comic book character, but it is very, very silly. And very short circuit input. He um he finds Shriek, his love Francis is alive at Ravencroft, and uh, and breaks her out, um, killing all the staff and and kind of beginning the uh, the rampage. The fight sequence here, I thought was pretty cool when they were in the car outside and he's like taking down helicopters and like throwing fucking cars with his carnage tentacles and stuff. I thought all that was kind of cool and looked good. I, uh, I did not like the car stuff. Uh, it, well, because of the reactions, 
of the actors where it's kind of like a woohoo from episode one. The the voice that that, that what's her name uh, Academy Award winner Naomi Harris is putting on is another bold choice in this movie. Yeah, the you just it's hard to sound excited and and do woohooing I guess convincingly. It's it is the second hardest thing that you're playing video games realistically. Yeah. Realistically, in movies, it just—it's not—it's difficult. Or I heard uh, eating on camera is really hard because you have to keep doing it and keep looking like you're enjoying yeah, it. Basically, I heard that with the more experienced actors, you'll note that they don't actually eat anything. That way, they don't have to continue eating the same cold food throughout the shoot. <laughs> I um. I mentioned it a bit before, but they establish how Shriek's screaming powers hurt Carnage and that Carnage doesn't like her. And I think they kind of missed out on the love triangle aspect where Cletus could kind of be in the middle where like Carnage is in love with Cletus and Cletus is in love with this thing, you know, and there could have been this, you know, and and Carnage doesn't like her and they, they, they dance around it, but they don't really nail it. Um, yeah, I, I like the action here. The driving away from the explosion unfazed by the giant explosion behind you <laughs> sequence is pretty funny. Yeah, it's very typical of uh, action movies in general. Just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Venom uh, missing Eddie and wishing that he could have uh, seen them at the club collapses into uh, Mrs. Chen's bodega where Mrs. Chen kind of nurses the now queer icon back into health. While uh, Detective Mulligan brings Eddie in, um, letting him know about Cletus, bringing him into the police station, and and essentially recounting the events of the first movie to remind us that Eddie Brock has been into all this sketchy shit, where Eddie uses his phone call to call Anne which we haven't talked about, and tell her what's up um, and find Venom for them. So the way he says Anne is so bizarre in this movie, I I don't want to go into it too much, but did you notice it throughout too, how he says Anne? I didn't until you mentioned it, but yeah, I can kind of hear it. (laughs) It's fucking weird. My, I I say this every time, like a funny scene happens, pretty much every single scene happens. This might be my actual favorite scene in the movie where Anne and and her fiance, um, Dr. Dan, uh, go on a hunt for Venom and they check out Mrs. Chen's bodega and Anne realizes that Venom is in Mrs. Chan when it calls her fiance a fucking pussy. Um, (laughs) Shut up, Dan. No one likes you, Dad. He's like, did you hear that? This thing just called me a pussy. And then... Academy Award winner Michelle Williams starts flirting with it and telling it's the coolest. It's yes, insane. Yes. Uh, I don't want to rain on the parade. I didn't. <laughs> it's insane. I, I like to think it was uh, how cost effective the the symbiote version of uh, Mrs. Chen was with just the eyes. Done. With the eyes. Yeah. 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 Um, and this is where we get she venom. Um, which is Venom with boobs, uh, classic 90s show. In case you couldn't figure it out, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she Venom is just Venom with boobs. Uh, Venom goes inside and breaks Eddie out. And now we get my favorite scene of the movie. As I said, I'm going to say this about every scene from here on out. The apology sequence. There is a weird scene where Venom refuses to help Eddie out unless he apologizes to him through Anne. 
and Eddie's saying all of the things that he should have said to Anne. Now he's saying them to her, but really saying them to Venom. And Venom doesn't really address this or play it up in any way, but I still really kind of enjoyed it being there, you know? Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous. <laughs> I enjoyed the physical comedy and the, the end of the scene. Uh, they slap or yes, when it like yes. pulls them when it pulls them together and it's like, don't kiss her. And he's like, can I kiss you now? And she's like, no, that's crazy. No, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the slap at the end. Just uh, slapping the new fiance for no good reason at all. He's a nice guy. and Yeah. And him saying, man, those two really need couples counseling and just straight up saying. Yes, it. yes. Uh, it's a good line. We're getting that in the third one. You think? A hundred percent. I want a sitcom where it's. Dan, Dr. Dan and Dr. Ann getting their um their new apartment and their nosy neighbors are Venom and Eddie, like in the worst way possible. I think uh, it would yeah. be for light. Um, I guess we're ramping up to the climax, which um they refer to as a red wedding. Three guests, one for each of them. The uh the cop who took uh Shriek's eye, Eddie Brock for Cletus and Venom for carnage yes. so cletus and carnage get the cop and they they abduct uh detective mulligan shriek kidnaps Anne to lauren eddie and dr dan calls venom to let him know that Anne's been taken to a cathedral and there's going to be this wedding and venom hopes that they have crudite or something like that he's like do you think they will have crudite and cake <laughs> i'm like this is oh, well, I think he said canapes, uh... oh he does yeah, yeah whatever yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh... it's insane it's insane um and yeah this is pretty much the the last battle i kind of dig how low stakes this movie was especially <laughs> you know the, the the first one dealt with um like the end of the world and this fucking rocket ship and this like maniacal scientist, like mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos kind of guy. And this one's just like ends at this chapel and it's just Eddie versus carnage basically. So they, yeah, they, yeah. which he refers to as a red one. And that's a, a, a bad thing, severely outcast, but they don't really explain it. And I, I don't understand it at all, man. I, I like, assume it's just that he's a better match with carnage. Uh, Cletus and, Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the um, Mozart Requiem playing as Cletus and Francis are kind of standing at the altar with a priest who somehow agreed to do this for their yeah, wedding ceremony. Yeah. Uh, and this is the point where I recognized uh, Naomi Harris as the lady from the Pirates movies. That yeah, this was it. Yeah, yeah. Because she because he had the veil on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, that and makes she's sense. Really a voodoo queen in. Uh, in the pirates movies, a pretty hot but dirty pirate queen. <laughs> voodoo, uh, yeah. We go on um match.com like in search of pretty hot dirty voodoo queen. <laughs> uh yeah, I wanna say you know your your teeth are supposed to be super dirty in that movie, but it wouldn't be a jailbreak, you gotta be honest. No. <laughs> Naomi Harris rules. I, I have probably said it a lot on the podcast. I know I've said it to you, Travis. Moonlight is one of my top ten. I am going to watch it, time. by the way. Uh, she's incredible in that movie. And she's kind of got the most showy performance, but it's still really good and it's difficult. She's the only actor in that film who talks 
who has scenes with all three of the actors who play the main character because it's it's told over three periods of time. So mm-hmm. you get the the character as a child, you get him as in his adolescence as a teenager, and then you get him as a young man. And she's the only character or actress who has a scene with every single one of the actors who plays that character. So she's it's again, it's the most showy kind of over melodramatic performance in the movie. I think that's the one that she won the Oscar for. I know Mahershala won best actor for that movie um, because he's, he's incredible. He's in about five minutes of that movie, by the way, he dies in the first like 20 minutes of that movie. Oh, but, and they don't even show him die. They just, flash to another time and and he's no longer around you know he is great though it's not like a uh a don cedar getting nominated for no he deserves his oh, okay. oscar for oh, that okay. movie no he gets don cedar but yeah that was ridiculous that was ridiculous um yeah when eddie brock shows up too to the cathedral you know and venom being freaked out by carnage and saying you know that's a red one and us getting that scene that was in the credits, but or in the trailer rather, but still I wasn't really tired of it and it still kind of worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Brock is wearing the same outfit that Eddie Murphy wore in Beverly Hills Cop 2. I it's, didn't know that. Yeah. It's so Brock is supposed to be from New York, but he's wearing a Detroit Lions jacket and he's wearing a Mumford physical educations t-shirt, which is the exact same outfit that Axel Foley wears in Tony Scott's great, great sequel, Beverly Hills Cop 2. I don't know if that's a nod to this just being another buddy action sequel. Mm-hmm. It could be. Rest in peace, Tony Scott, one of the most influential filmmakers who doesn't get the credit that he deserves and redefined action cinema for an entire generation. If he was still around, I could see him directing a Venom movie. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh- I, I hope Venom becomes like Mission Impossible, where it's like a director-driven franchise, where each movie gets a different director. Like, let's see what Brad Bird's got in store. No, I get you. I get you. Brian De Palma's Venom Three. <laughs> All radically different uh, tones, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Carnage also calls Venom father, confirming that he's the spawn of Venom, and also confirming that Venom is officially daddy. So another thing <laughs> that makes him a queer icon in this movie. Um, during the fight, Carnage kind of does the pose in front of the stained glass mirror. There's a lot of you know references to it being Da Vinci's drawing of man, but this is really just from the fucking video game, right? Well, it just made me think of a comic cover, not like a comic panel, but or, or even a splash page. It just looks like a comic cover, kind of. Uh, In the church level of the Ultimate Carnage video game, is it Carnage or Doppelganger that he fights who jumps through the stained glass? I think it might be Doppelganger. I don't I think don't it was. Remember Venom. the uh, the maximum Carnage game is fucking hard. Uh, yeah, the separation anxiety one. Uh, I did beat it, I think, but I, I had to cheat and I don't, it's been so long. Uh, I'll just watch a playthrough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone else suffering through that. Yeah. It was a good game for the time, but yeah, it's not a good game by modern standards. I guess Shriek dies. No, no. Shriek kills the cop, right? Shriek kills the cop. Yeah. Yeah. And then this also, this action scene is one of those spots where it could have been tightened up a bit where they have carnage 
uh, fucking gripe at uh, Shriek about something or other. I don't recall hmm. what, but it was he stopped what he was doing to go do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is it is weird uh, and belongs in movie needlessly, just like the Maximum Carnage miniseries. I, I I do like how Venom keeps saying marriage trouble already honeymoon over so soon you know like he's saying like all these dumb things during the fight sequence mm-hmm. and uh, inevitably what ends up defeating Carnage is that Cletus and Carnage aren't a good match they're not in a symbiotic relationship the way Eddie and Venom are mm-hmm. oh then <laughs> so, Shriek does a, a face turn pretty much uh she does she does well they they play into that face turn you know venom is like underneath all of this like rubble and dr dan's like you got to get up you got to get up and eddie's like listen we can do it because we're the lethal protector (laughs) and then like he gets up and like grabs like a stick and like they climb up to Mm -hmm. the top of the fucking building while Anne is like being dangled like in very stereotypical superhero movie Save oh, the damsel in distress. Well, there was that moment where you saw Anne's reflection in Venom's like eyes, which was yeah. very much that that shot from the death of Gwen Stacy. You know, mm-hmm. where you see her falling to her doom and to her demise through the reflection of Peter Parker's eyes. They do that shot, and I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, and then Shriek has her heel turn and like blast a fucking church bell, so this sounds like turns them into normal people and as they're falling venom like jumps out of his host into dan and then into Anne, and then back into fucking eddie before he falls mm-hmm. so shriek gets killed by the bell cletus and, and carnage are separated venom eats carnage says he doesn't taste good and then turns back into to to turns to cletus rather and like holds him up and cletus is like uh, you know what I really wanted, Eddie? I just wanted us to be friends. And Venom just says, fuck that guy and eats Cletus's head off. And the movie gets to use its one fuck being a PG-13 for a very good moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt like Carnage dying off in the first movie he's in, or first full movie, rather. Uh, premature, considering Venom's lack of other villains. <laughs> uh... I mean, there's no coming up, which... Sure. Yeah, yeah. I didn't figure they'd ever do no, but uh, their hands can be forced, it looks like, unless they co-op some more Spider-Man villains. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a ton of fucking Spider-Man villains, man. Yeah. And, like, if they do do <laughs> no, if they do do no, a Venom movie with this tone in outer space would be fucking insane like mm-hmm. eddie brock being a fish out of water on a spaceship on a cosmic adventure would be that fucking could be insane. Fun. uh Very i fun. uh i spent way too long last night just randomly thinking about if miles morales and peter parker guided divorce who gets which rogues from spider-man's rogues <laughs> oh, that would be insane yes yeah it it was at least an hour of just thinking about who and why and i'm an adult i <laughs> it's all good i i wrote the beginning of an x-man movie in my head and then told you about it today so yes yes uh... <laughs> i'll storyboard it later i am an adult <laughs> yes yes uh um yeah the movie basically ends with uh venom and eddie now on the run um 
they visit the statue of Don Quixote's author, Miguel Cervantes. The whole, I guess I don't want to, shouldn't probably get too much into the story of Don Quixote, but the idea is like the real world is awful. So Don Quixote pretends to be this like great knight from like a storybook aided by his squire Sancho, right? And it's it's about embracing the imagination to see the good in the world instead of, you know, seeing the world for what it is. You're seeing it as it should be. He also says facts are the enemy of truth, which is like the opposite of journalism, which was kind of weird. But it ends with Eddie deciding to embrace the role of Don Quixote rather than succumb to living, you know, within the norms of society. He's going to embrace Venom his Sancho and live the life of a hero, the lethal protector. And they retreat to a lovely Mexican beach where Venom tells Eddie that he loves him. And the Samba cover of joy divisions, level terrace apart again, plays as a helicopter shot ends the movie. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, the beach scene was, was kind of fun. I'll admit that. It's so funny. And he's like, yeah, we'll be, we'll be heroes now. He's like, we must get a cape and a mask. <laughs> it's very weird. Mm-hmm. And the whole like, di- wait, wait, backpedal a second. Did you just say you love me? It's very strange. And then the Joy Division cover is very strange here. Mm-hmm. I like the end, man. I guess post credits, right? Big, 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 big yeah, post credits. Yeah. Uh, I knew that. Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and this version of them were going to be interacting at some point. I had assumed that it was going to be uh, Tom Holland coming over to the Sony-verse via uh, multi-dimensional nonsense or whatever, and that's really not going to be the case. It It looks like Venom's coming to the MCU proper, or an MCU-like universe of some kind. Uh... I think that we'll get a little bit more of how this is all going to work with Multiverse of Madness and the third Spider-Man movie. But Venom, this is the kind of the null stuff that we were hinting at. Venom talks about his planet Kintar and how the symbiotes have this kind of hive mind. And he offers to open up Eddie's mind to the symbiotic hive mind before they're transported into another room of some kind. There's a great moment where Venom goes, what the hell is that? And he says, relax, it's just a towel. And it's like a towel shaped like a duck. Um, <laughs> and on the TV, we see, Similar uh, what's his name? To uh, J. Jonah Jameson's footage from Tom Holland, uh, from Far From Home, kind of. It's similar to that, but not the same. Uh, like there's a shot but of- is J. Jonah Jameson? It's J. Jonah Jameson screaming like, here's Spider-Man's a menace and Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And it's got like a shot of Tom Holland unmasked in the Spider-Man. So I don't recall where that comes from. Uh, I imagine it's like the Taskmaster footage that they're (laughs) revealing where it doesn't actually make sense that he has that footage, but okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. I don't know how this is going to work. Uh, The talk of ancient stuff made me think of no the high mind mention makes me wonder if these things are have like multiversal awareness uh to where maybe a version of the venom symbiote has interacted with a spider-man and that's why he kind of registers uh, a connection with him 
where he licks the fucking TV screen and says that guy and then licks the fucking yeah, TV screen. Yeah, yeah. If it's like a thing where because Toby Maguire is Venom, uh, yeah. I don't oh, know. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Granted, I will never forgive it if it brings back Tober Grace's Venom. That's <laughs> a bridge too far, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. It's interesting and worrisome, possibly exciting. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You have anything else to say about Venom before, well, Venom, let there be carnage before we jump into our reviews? I do not. I do not. All right, let's do it. Tell us how you really feel. Let's rate this. So we hear at both the Multiverse of Radness, the Multiverse of Sadness, and the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast have a six-stone review system. One stone being the worst, six stones being the best. We do accept half stones. Travis, I am curious to see what your final rating for Venom Let There Be Carnage is. Okay, I'm going to rate it twice. Um, once as if the MCU does not exist, and this is just like <laughs> in a universe where this is just another superhero movie, it gets a two and a half. Uh, uh, yeah, two and a half stones out of six uh, in that universe, and a one and a half in the actual universe we live in. I don't That is so cold. <laughs> I it has its moments and it has yeah, it's just I don't I don't long for the days before uh, yeah, I, where they just do whatever and call it uh an adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I get I get wanting to have superhero movies that take extra risks and stuff like that, but I don't want it connecting to the universe. It's very well curated. Yeah, I really kind of the the post credit scene kind of hampered my enjoyment of the Venom franchise at large. I like it existing as its own thing. It's yeah, one of the yeah. things I like about this franchise so much because it is my escape from the giant curated continuity driven Marvel Cinematic Universe that I love to death and we, I love it so fucking much we have this fucking podcast about it where we scream about it every week but it is nice to have escapist cinema I like that these things exist I'll, I'll give it two ratings I'll give it the rating for the movie that it actually is and then the kind of movie that I watch a lot in the background so it as a movie I give this a, out of six a gentleman's three stones this is a perfect middle of the road, yeah. well-made, in and out, over before you know it, action movie with some good performances, a lot of really weird decisions being made, <laughs> and 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 hold your attention to the point where before you know it, it's over. As a movie that I, like a kind of movie that I will watch and rewatch that I get entertainment from and enjoy... Yeah. I'm going to give it a five out of six stones. It's the perfect kind of movie that I just will put on out of nowhere. I like, I've said it on the show before. I like Tony Scott movies. I like fucking Michael Bay movies. I like things yeah, yeah. produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. I like these gone before, you know, it action comedies. I love lethal weapon. I love 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And I even like the, 
I don't want to call them like they, they eventually turned into the direct to video genre, but those kind of like action science fiction movies like universal soldier or oh, cyborg. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I like those kinds of movies and this is kind of the closest to one of those that I'm going to get anymore as a viewer and fan of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. I do want to say that I, Fucked up on my first four. I meant to say three. Uh, like a very okay. middle of the road. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very middle of the road. A gentleman's uh, three stars, as we call it. <laughs> where, you know, we it's, it's an okay movie that you kind of admire for what it does. And 90-minute runtimes, it's a lost art. I rewatched the first Men in Black the other day and texted Travis after I finished it saying how I could have watched two men in blacks in one Avengers Endgame and gotten the same story out, you know, it, it yeah. like just nails everything so quickly and just doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't really take its time with anything, but you still get it. And it's still really effective. Um, I don't think Venom is as good a movie as the first men in black, but it does embrace the short runtime to maximal carnage. No maximal effort. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think my three favorite things were, uh, number one, uh, the progressive nature of the plot, the, uh, the clear coding that isn't really coding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. Uh, this sh- short runtime, not because it's not as a, oh, I'm just ready for it to end thing, but just a general, uh, an action movie being 90 minutes is a good thing in general. Uh, and then third, I like some of the Venom comedy, uh, just the, Physical stuff and a few of the lines and it's yeah. When you were in the theater, did your audience did you get a lot of audience reactions from the humor? Uh no, but that's not very fair. I, I saw it on a Thursday, so Okay. There's like three other people in there. Huh? Okay. Yeah. I um I saw it opening night on a Friday and it was jam packed. It was probably the most packed I'd seen a theater in a while since fast nine really um and the place was going crazy like the place was cracking up at venom and then we saw it uh recently this weekend after it had been out for a couple weeks and it wasn't as packed and it was in a smaller theater um in the the big chain that i go to and people were still laughing it was it was like audible audience reaction Mm -hmm. so people like these movies oh yeah yeah it's that adds to it for sure. The theater uh, experience, whenever it's good like that, and not just people playing on their phone or whatever. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, before jumping off, you want to talk uh, some real quick Marvel Cinematic Universe news that's not Venom related? Yeah, yeah, we certainly can. We certainly can. All right, let's do it. So this week we have casting news. We have some new clips from some of the movies. Um, Before we jump into everything, again, you could find us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any podcast provider. If you could start leaving reviews or ratings, that would be incredible. You can also reach out to us at mcubeyondinfinitypodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us at the MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast Facebook group, where we have a really good community of people who I really enjoy talking about Marvel movies about. We kind of said it last week how 
even if I didn't start this group, you know, we didn't start this group. This is where I would be because this is mm-hmm. where the people who I like to talk about these movies with lay. So before jumping into the news, I just wanted to put all that out there for everybody. But Travis, lay down some of the, the news items. Okay. The, uh, I'll start with the smallest, which is the Eternals freestyle stuff. Doing very well. Better than Black Widow and Shang-Chi, which makes it where I don't think we're allowed to doubt any property DMC puts out from here on out. Because Eternals is as big a risk as you could take, I think. Uh, I say a lot on the show how the Eternals is perhaps the most unbeloved and uncherished franchise that Marvel Comics has ever had. I don't think even comic book readers really care about the Eternals. So to make a giant blockbuster film, let alone a franchise out of it is a fucking risk. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting an independent, you know, mid low budget director on it is another risk. And I am very surprised at the pre-sales, man. You know, I say that all knowing I'm going to love this movie Mm -hmm. and, and kind of assuming anything with a Marvel name on it can't fail, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, if anything was going to, it would have been this, I think. And just it outselling Black Widow just shows how strong the Marvel brand is. Uh, very impressive. I hope the reviews are good. I hope it's a good movie. Uh, yeah, if it bombs hard, then, then maybe we can start doubting again. But <laughs> Well, they're estimating a $10 million opening weekend. And the pre-sale for AMC currently is the highest... Um, first day numbers of the year of 2021 for AMC as a franchise. No, oh, yeah. And that's, that's impressive. It's impressive. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, also want to mention that guardians three, James Gunn is quoted as saying that it takes place in present day. So we'll see an older group though. I like MCU present day. Isn't the same as present day, present day. So it's really, a near future. <laughs> yeah, he didn't really clarify as much as he probably intended to there. Uh, but we're catching up, like, yeah. in real time. Also, we have to think, I don't know if that makes complete sense for a group to be too much older because he was snapped, so... True. Yeah. I'll be complaining about it in the near future, probably. Yeah, yeah stay tuned for our Guardians <laughs> 3 show. Where we does he even care? No. He does not, and that's fine. That's totally fine. Uh, the big news is the Adam Warlock casting. Uh, yes, Will Poulter. I can't think of what else he's done. I know his face. He's in Detroit. I I saw that, enjoyed it, and he was good in that. Not a typical role for him. Uh, he's in Midsummer. He plays the kind of dopey. Yes, guy. yes, yes. He does. He does. Uh, great movie. I don't care what anyone says. It's <laughs> terrific. I really judge people by whether or not they say Midsummer is a good movie or a bad movie. I like well, how vehemently they say it's a bad movie is yeah mm-hmm. an indicator. <laughs> yeah, and like why they don't like it, or if they acknowledge that it's it's a good movie, but they just don't like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I should respect that for sure. Just to say that the acting's bad or anything like that, it's uh, or, or poorly made or poorly written. I yeah, just yeah. shake my head. I was like, man, you just probably He's don't have boring taste. or something. You know, like that. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, I get it. I yeah, get yeah. it. <laughs> It's an artsy bullshit movie. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of missed out on casting Will Poulter's 
eyebrows for Namor, like just his eyebrows. <laughs> uh, yeah, he um, um, he was the original choice for Pennywise the Clown when Kerry Fukuzawa was uh, directing that movie before he left it. Hmm? Um, and then the guy Andy Mancelli or whatever the guy who's doing the Flash Muschetti. movie, yes, yes, Muschetti, yeah, he's doing the Flash movie now. Um, you know, he kind of restructured the entire production and and got one of the scars guards, but originally that was going to be Will Potter, and uh, I thought that was an interesting choice. He is in a kind of funny Jennifer Aniston, Andy, um, isn't it? Fuck, it's not Andy. I almost called him Jason Sudeikis movie called We Are the Millers, where mm-hmm. Jason Sudeikis plays a grown man who sells weed, and Jennifer Aniston's like a prude, and they have to like pretend to be a family. And Will Potter is very funny in that fucking movie. Um, really distinguishing face. Yes. Um, he's known mostly for comedy stuff, but I, I could see him. He's a good actor. I saw Detroit, that was really good, and that's definitely not a comedy. No. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm willing to give him a shot there. And more like, even though Silver Surfer was a, a big deal to me growing up, and more like, I don't have strong feelings about one way or the other. Uh, I. Other than he looks cool. I have uh, strong feelings about Adam Warlock being Jim Starlin's deuces machina to get him out of every single situation that he ever <laughs> put himself in where yeah. Adam, Adam Warlock was just created. So Jim Starlin could have this like OP character to just get people out of situations. And that's kind of how he's always been played as like, well, call Adam Warlock. He's got a way to do it. He's like the deuces machina for the cosmic and uh, Marvel comics. I do remember before Endgame came out that people were going, complaining that they were worried that uh, Captain Marvel would be a deus ex uh, thing and I don't expect those same people to complain if uh, Adam Warlock is used in that. Uh, oh, I wonder why. Yeah, I, I can't quite place my finger on it, but yeah, I yeah. just don't expect it to have that backlash. <laughs> The golden penis, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Um, Yeah. And then I guess it'll change his origin to be that of the Sovereign and not that of the High Evolutionary. Although I would like Guardians 3 to somehow bring in weird concepts like the High Evolutionary and all that stuff. Yeah, I do think we may get the High Evolutionary in there somewhere. Uh, That's kind of been the rumor. And with Rocket's origins possibly being explored here, Mm -hmm. maybe something to do with that. We'll see. Um, do you know the other uh, kind of big casting news this week? I do not. I can't tell from your face if this is going to be a serious one or you. This is a serious one. I, I held it back. I, I didn't mention it before when we were going over, just because if you don't know, I, I just kind of. Bill Murray is going to be in Ant Man 3. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember reading that. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, we'll see. I, I wonder if he's going to play like a, a big character or just like a fun. Uh, I'm hoping if it's multi, uh, universal, like, you know, like a multiverse or time travel mm-hmm. I'm hoping that he plays a future version of Scott Lang, like old man, Scott Lang. Okay. Yeah. I could see that. Uh, granted we have seen an old man version, but not that. <laughs> oh yeah. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but shit. you can do both. He just took you know, more care of himself in that universe. That's. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, batter or maybe egghead 
because Egghead is a funny Ant-Man villain who they haven't used yet. <laughs> oh, they did in uh, the second movie. He's what? uh he's Ghost uh Balder or something, right? He's, God damn it. Yeah, yeah, they just throw him in a, a fucking origin part and then yeah. They fucking wasted Egghead. Yeah, I mean, we there's still like Whirlwind and Still Man. <laughs> yeah, I I do want some of the goofier villains still. I I know I talk about it a lot, but yeah, I do want some of them. Uh, yeah, we want still, man. Mm-hmm. Do you and have any other news? All the news. That is. Um, we have some special episodes coming up over the next couple of weeks because we don't really have anything new until the Eternals, even though the Eternals is coming the first week of November. That leaves us with two weeks of some kind of filler content that we're kind of excited to uh, kind of to be discussing. We may be resurrecting the fortress, uh, which I'm really stoked about and uh, some Halloween spooktacular stuff, which I'm really stoked to talk to Travis about because we kind of became friends talking about horror movies. So I'm excited for the Halloween stuff that we have planned and um, excited to talk uh, outside of the MCU for a couple of weeks before we get back into it with mm. the Eternals. Uh, we finally did it, Travis. We finally let there be carnage. We knock, knocked. We let the devil in. I'm loco for the symbioto. You not so much, but it was pretty much <laughs> what I expected. And mm-hmm. the episode is now twice as long as the movie. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh- so until next week, I am John. I'm Travis. And we are Venom. Venom.